Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Yeah, say what you will about Chuck Barris, Gavin. He's uh, he's definitely no Jimmy Savile. Yes. The following podcast contains... You cannot say filth, flying filth, flying filth in front of people. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. You didn't even let me get to the second stanza of my acapella rendition of I Will Always Love You before gonging me off? What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe, this is episode number 402, Gene Gene the Dancing Machine edition of the show, where we talk about how America's amateur talent got noticed in the 1970s on the gong show. Stay tuned. What the Hell Are You Thinking podcast is brought to you by the St. Cyril and Methodius Roman Catholic Church of Boonton, New Jersey's annual talent night. We're announcing open auditions for the biggest little talent show in Boonton. Actors, dancers, singers, comedians, clean only folks, this is a church, musicians and all other talents and skills are wanted and needed to fill the bill for the 36th largest Catholic church talent show in Northeastern New Jersey. Our special celebrity judge this year will be former New Jersey 26th Assemblywoman Betty Lou DeCroach. So act now and audition for the St. Cyril and Methodius annual talent show to help the parish, and who knows, with a little help from above, maybe even get noticed. The Gong Show movie is driving people wild. <laughs> yeah, that I, I, I don't Milk me if you please. The Gong Show movie is making people angry. You die now. The Gong Show movie is very revealing. But best of all, the Gong Show movie is unfit for TV. The Gong Show movie. The Gong Show that was gone by the censor. It's the Gong Show you could never see on TV. From Universal Pictures. It might surprise you, but I had dreams when I was a kid. I wanted to do things. I wanted to be somebody. You keep dreaming those big dreams. I mean, they were big dreams. I never dreamed of, like, living on the moon or anything because it was the 1970s and we all just assumed that when we grew up, it'd be normal. Everyone would be living on the moon, so there was no need to, uh... Dream up imaginary ones. Yeah. So what I dreamed of were the kind of simple things a young boy from rural Tennessee wants out of life. Like shoes. I had shoes. It was the 1970s, not the 1870s. But I did want simple things. Like, someday I wanted to live in New York City and to be on a daytime television game show. Get ready to match the stars! It didn't have to be the match game, but if I was dreaming, I was going to dream of being on the match game, but in a pinch, in a pinch, I would have taken... All in the Hollywood Square. Now, I didn't want to be a contestant on these shows, even though it was far more plausible of the very highly implausible idea of my ever being on a daytime television game show. But no, contestants were the most boring part of the show. And I was already very, very boring in real life. So in my fantasy life, I wanted to be exciting. I wanted to wear huge glasses, maybe 
a pastel cravat. And he's very, very straight. I wanted to be clever, to be flashy, and to be fabulous. It makes him super straight. Which the contestants were none of. They were all off for like 21 minutes. I wanted my life to be on the show. And the only way I could have that life was to be on the panel. Can't you say anything in a normal way? No, not really. I wanted to answer the questions with Brett and Charles or sit with Paul Lind and giggle the dirty things he said when the cameras weren't rolling. I mean, I was a kid. I didn't need valuable cash and prizes. I didn't have a car, so turtle wax was useless, and I didn't even like rice The San Francisco treat. And a home game? Fucking useless unless Betty White was going to come over and play along. Even at my tender age, I knew there was something special going on with all those celebrities whose only jobs seemed to be saying barely concealed double entendres. You don't even know what that word means. Well, I, I, I didn't then, but I do now. But I did know that they were saying things that were probably dirty. I wanted to be famous for being on daytime television game shows. And also, I suspected there were things going on my young mind couldn't comprehend behind the scenes that were not good for young Baptist boys, but were probably a shitload of fun. Was it cocaine? For me, it was cocaine. Oh, it was definitely cocaine. I mean, they said it was vodka, but we all know it was vodka and cocaine. But there was one show where it looked like a contestant had to be having at least as much fun as they were on the panel. It was a show where, even if it was beyond unlikely that I could ever appear on, at least it didn't seem impossible that a goofy-ass kid from nowhere might actually make it on there someday. It wasn't a game show. There were no questions. Although, to be honest... Uh, we have many questions. But those questions weren't, like, trivia. They were more... They are way existential. Like, you know... Why would anyone do this? And the answers were always simply... Because they can. It was perhaps the most bizarre television show in all of television history, and it was called... From Hollywood, almost live, it's the Gone Show! And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's a man who can go through my express checkout line anytime the host and star of the show chuck barris if you've never heard of the gong show welcome to planet earth i'm assuming this is all very confusing for you but I will go along with the conceit of that statement and say The Gong Show was an American television game show slash variety show that aired on NBC television daytime schedule from 1976 through 1978 and then in syndication through 1980. There were later iterations of the show, some as recently as 2017, but the, for the purposes of what we're discussing now, the daytime version of the show from 76 to 78 is widely considered Ah, high drama in its purest form. And the single greatest accomplishment of television's naughty phase. The concept of the show was simple. People would appear on the show, performing their special talent or skill, and a panel of three celebrity judges would rate them from 1 to 10 for talent, originality, and flair. The thing is, though, the, uh, the contestants... God, these people are all terrible. Yeah, this was like the anti-matter version of a talent show. Most of them were chosen for how bad they were. And the judge would watch as much of the act as they could stand until one of them finally broke down and struck a huge brass gong behind the judges, putting the end to everyone's torment. To put it directly, it was... Simply brilliant! 
Nothing about the gong show was breaking new ground. Amateur talent shows had been around for as long as human beings have been performing arts of any kind. Like the cavemen. But they became popular mass entertainment with the advent of vaudeville and transferred instantly to radio and then television. For as long as there's been talent shows, there's been intentionally bad acts performing in them. Vaudeville created the genre of terrible performers performing terribly, often being removed from the stage using a large hook. It was the Major Bose Amateur Hour radio show that incorporated a big brass gong into the gang. Acts who sucked intentionally or accidentally would be gonged off the stage and then hustled off by bodyguards to keep them from beating the shit out of the host. Quoting from oldtimeradiocatalog.com, quote, One of the Major's biggest fears was that a gong contestant would turn nasty. As a result, he always kept a strong bodyguard nearby. Before he would hit the gong, he would signal the, bo- the bodyguard, who hustles them up to the microphone and down again. I always signal him before letting the bell go, and he's always ready to grab the poor boo before he can say anything vile, unquote. In normal talent shows, the competition works for cash and prizes is determined by the judges who would rate the performers, presumably objectively. What the gong show did was take the boring old talent show format and turn it on its head. But it didn't start out that way. In the beginning, the gong show was intended to be a pretty regular talent show with a panel of celebrity judges and regular people who just wanted to be on national television hoping to be noticed and maybe become famous. But something happened along the way that turned the show into something dramatically different. And it all started with the show's creator and co-producer who was already famous for creating a lot of game shows in the 1960s and 70s. Thank you, Chuck Barris. Chuck Barris made his bones in television as part of the... From the NBC Page program. He climbed the ranks by working on shows like American Bandstand while also writing music. He even penned a top 10 pop song that was performed by Freddie Cannon in June of 1962 called Palisades Park. He would eventually be put in charge of daytime programming at ABC, where he won friends and influenced bosses by telling them their show ideas sucked. To which they replied, You think you can do better? Barris did! So he quit ABC and formed his own production company, the Chuck Barris Productions, in 1965. That same year, Barris proved he could do better when he sold his first game show to his former employers at ABC. From the Chuck Barris stages in Hollywood, California, it's The Dating Game. And follow that up a year later with the equally popular logical sequel. You can always expect the unexpected on The Newlywed Game. He made a string of other shows that didn't quite do as well and tried several times to break out into variety television, but could never quite land a huge hit like the dating and newlywed games. That was until 1976, when he merged his slightly racy game shows with a variety show and created what was intended as a hybrid, but rapidly turned into its own thing. I could and eventually will do a full episode about Chuck Barris, but for now, let's stick to the gong show. The show was always meant to be a Chuck Barris joint, and that meant it was going to go right up to the line of what was allowed on television and stay there. Originally, Emmy Award-winning actor John Barber was the original host of the show, but uh, he couldn't handle the idea of the show not 
actually wanting good acts on it. Barber would eventually find his spiritual home on another 80s television mainstay. On April 18, 1979, at 8 p.m., a new kind of television series was born. Real people. All of a sudden, I was falling at 120 miles an hour. Barber only hosted a few episodes of The Gong Show and eventually left. That's when Chuck Barris stepped in to be the host of the show as an emergency replacement and put the final piece of the jigsaw that was the beauty of this show. Barris would be introduced, come out on stage, and instantly own it for all that he was very uncomfortable on stage and it showed. But because he was uncomfortable, that just made it that much funnier. But Barris wouldn't do it alone. It was the celebrity judges who provided the majority of the insanity that made the show so beloved. Wikipedia tells us, quote, The original program's regular judges included Jamie Farr, J.P. Morgan, Artie Johnson, Patty Andrews, Phyllis Diller, Pat McCormick, Waylon Flowers, Anson Williams, Steve Garvey, Rex Reed, and Rip Taylor. Throughout the program's run, several other celebrities occasionally appeared as judges, including David Letterman, Steve Martin, Mort Saul, Chuck Woolery, Alan Ludden, and Sadney Duncan, unquote. Add in long-time Barris announcer Johnny Jacobs, band leader Milton DeLug, and of course, beautiful hostesses, who Wikipedia tells us were, quote, hostesses include Siv Abberg, a Swedish-born model and actress who appeared on Barris' syndicated new treasure hunt, actress Marlena Clark, porn star Carol Connors, and Barris' teenage daughter Della, unquote. And finally, you just needed the contestants. UltimateClassicRot.com says, quote, the formula was simple. There were three judges and a gong. Performers tried out their acts, and when one of the judges couldn't stand it anymore, they smashed the gong, ending the proceedings. Whichever performer won the day's show received a check for $516.32, which was rumored to be the Screen Actors Guild minimum daily wage at the time. There were also recurring bits sprinkled into the show. Barris himself, who was notoriously camera shy despite his over-the-top comedic sensibilities, acted as an MC, often wearing ridiculous hats, and accompanied his patter with intermittent strings of weird, weird dance moves, unquote. So, you've got the host, you've got the band, you've got the model, you've got the, get the talent. All you need now, like they said, are the contestants. And pod friends, the contestants were, uh, well, the contestants were something, there were always one or two generally decent acts, but the rest were, uh, they were, uh, let's say, less good. They ran from simply terrible to outright inexplicable, and so very often, they were both. The Gong Show would routinely bring you such performance gems as... Thrilling in this next guy's life was once Frank Sinatra once talked to him and said, fill her up, kid, and make it snappy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I like this act. I want to dedicate this act to some, some dear friends of mine and compliances and practices. I like to say now, Alan Katz. Ever since I was a little kid, my friends have been telling me what a good burper I was. And now I'm going to kind of show you how I got started. When I was a little kid, my mother, I think, used to hit me a little bit too hard in the back when she was burping me. So I, most kids went, <laughs> I went, <laughs> then I got a little bit older and I started picking up words here and there. Like the first word I ever said was, Mama. she didn't talk to me for a week after that. I got a little bit older, started going to school and I learned the alphabet. 
Yeah. Yeah, he he came on stage and burped. This was not an unusual act for the gong show. You also had people like Fred Tyson. Ladies and gentlemen, a bundle of yucks. If ever there was one. Fred Tyson. in West Virginia riding mama choo-choo-choo-choo waters life is dusty dusting in the sky dusting in the moonshine two drops in my eyes country roads take me home to the place where I belong West Virginia riding mama take me home country roads I will not inflict the full 90 seconds of Fred upon you for surprisingly Fred was not gonged. He didn't score well. He barely eked out a one, but he was not gonged. More from Wikipedia, quote, When Barris announced the final score, actor Jerry Marr and a little person and former munchkin ran on stage in top hat and tails, throwing confetti while balloons dropped from overhead. The Daily Gong Show also gave out Worst Act of the Week, later changed to Most Outrageous Act of the Week, selected by the producers and each week's judges. And the winner of this award was announced following the trophy presentation on the Friday show, and the performer received an addition to the winner of the $516.32 for their daily appearance, a dirty tube sock, and a check for $516.32, unquote. 300 people a week auditioned for the gong show. 65 would eventually be chosen. The show taped two days a week, Saturday and Sunday, five shows each day. With that, many people trying out and making it, it should come as no surprise that not all of them sucked. Most of them. Uh, yeah, only most of them. There were a few genuine standouts that would go on to become legit stars in their own right. Quoting from Billboard.com, quote, Cheryl Lynn, before she became a disco queen, got the, uh, the got-to-be-real singer, appeared on the show in early 1976, singing Joe Cocker's You're So Beautiful, which didn't win her the grand prize she lost to a juggler, but did score her a recording contract the next year. Oingo Boingo! The Danny Elfman-led Dead Man's Party group tried to impress the panel that included the Incredible Hulk star Bill Bixby, performing as the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo. Mare Winningham, when she was 16, the St. Elmo's Fire actress planned to sing a heartfelt cover of the Beatles here, there, and everywhere under her real name, only to get shouted down by a group of Girl Scouts in the audience. Pee Wee Herman, before he was our beloved man-child's kids host, Paul Rubens sang a jazzy number on the show in 1979, while balanced on his toes as part of the duo Suave and Debonair. Michael Winslow, the man of 10,000 voices, the sound effects best known for his magical mouth impressions in Police Academy movies, got his first TV credit in 1978 on the show, where he ran through the entire primetime lineup of the year and imitated Jimi Hendrix, unquote. You know uh, who uh, try also tried out for the gong show? who tried out and didn't make the cut. Weird Al. Weird Al Yankovic. Didn't even make it on the show. Weird Al. Didn't make it on the gong show. There, there, there's no justice in the world. And in addition to the actual contestants, there were the bits. Like... All right. Here comes the Prince of Puns, folks. Here it comes. Here it comes. The Duke of Dillies! <laughs> the Wizard of... 
appearing on stage with a brown paper bag over his head, the unknown comic would riff terrible jokes and sight gags until, until he was finally chased off stage by Barris. The unknown comic was actually a pretty well-known comic, a guy by the name of Murray Langston, who got his start on laughing and then became a regular on the Sonny and Cher show, and many, many more like the Hudson Brothers, Razzle Dazzle Show, the Wolfman Jack Show, and the Bobby Vinton Show. But in the mid-1970s, Langston was having a hard time making ends meet, so he took a job on the gong show. But he was embarrassed by how low he'd sunk. You can understand. So he brokered a deal with the producers to cover his head with a paper bag. The unknown comic became a sensation. A generation of Americans would put a brown paper bag over their head and spit terrible jokes for Halloween or just because they were drunk at a party. Langston's bit resurrected his career and got him back into movies and television. And then, uh, and, oh, God damn it. It's just, it's just insane that just appearing on a show with a brown paper bag over your head could resurrect a career in Hollywood. That was the magic of the gong show. In addition to the unknown comic would be <laughs> Larry and his magic instruments. Show writer Larry Spencer would come on stage and do a very silly call and response about he was going to play some instrument and then completely fail to play the instrument. <laughs> the problem with so many of these things is that this is an audio medium and you can't see the sight gags that go with it, which is why I'm giggling like an idiot, <laughs> and you're so annoyed at me right now. Did it make sense? No, 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 it didn't. But it was funny, <laughs> and that's all that mattered. But perhaps the most famous of these interstitials was a stagehand by the name of Gene Patton. He would come on stage and do a very silly dance while pelted with random objects. He was known as... A little varmint got 30 points. Can you believe that? Gene, Gene, the dancing machine. Vulture.com tries to explain this inexplicable act. Quote, but the best was Gene Gene the Dancing Machine. For two or so minutes, stagehand Gene Patton would do the world's simplest dance while junk was thrown at him, and everyone would go nuts. I remember watching and marveling. Look how much fun they're having. Block e blogger Mark Evanier recalls being on the gong show set one time when Gene Gene began boogieing. The minute they started playing his music, jumping at the woodside, I think the tune's called The Studio, positively erupted. Barris started dancing, the panelists jumped up and started dancing, and you could feel how much Gene Gene enjoyed what he's doing. Okay, fine, they're performers as part of the act, but the crew also started dancing. People not on screen. The guy operating camera one was operating camera one and dancing at the same time. Grips were dancing, lighting guys were dancing, the members of the band were dancing as much as they could and still play their instruments, and of course, the audience. An odd mix of younger gong show fans intermittals with old ladies who couldn't get into Hollywood Squares taping down the hall simply had to leap up and boogie. Some of the show's performers and staffers were a little, shall we say, under the influence of something, but the crew wasn't and the audience wasn't, and it was just an honest high of excitement. I've been on many TV stages in my life. I've seen big stars, huge stars, Johnny Frank, Sammy, D Sammy Dino, Bob, you name them. I've seen great acts and great joy, and if you had to ask me to name the most thrilling moment I've witnessed in person, I might just opt for the gong show's electrifying stage three for all of 120 seconds. 
unquote. And it was, in a very odd way, Gene Gene the Dancing Machine that led to the end of the gong show. The daytime gong show, which ran at 12.30 p.m., meant that it was seen by everyone, from kids like me home from school to little old ladies waiting for those soap operas to start. Barris wanted the show to be raunchy, so he would intentionally pick very raunchy acts and show them to standards and practices so that they would cut those acts and then let the less dirty stuff he actually wanted to get on the air get on the air. And that worked great until one time, one of those super dirty acts that he'd picked because he thought it would get cut actually made it to the air and Barris ran with it. Here she is. Oh, I love this act. Oh, now this has some substance. It's about time we had substance on this show of fame. Here comes Have You Got a Nickel? What you cannot glean from that utterly innocent introduction is what happened when two attractive young ladies dressed in short shorts and shirts, but not provocatively so. It was fairly standard 70s fare. Walked on stage, or I should rather say they skipped on stage, holding hands with one another, each carrying a popsicle. They then sat down center stage with their popsicles and proceeded to suck that thing like a porn star. It was not subtle what was going on here. It was full-on popsicle fellatio. These girls were fucking professional popsicle suckers. And that went out on the air. More from Vulture. Quote, perhaps the most famous real act was the popsicle twins, a.k.a. Have You Got a Nickel? Two innocent-looking girls doing a not-so-innocent-seeming things to popsicles while the audience hooted. J.P. Morgan gave them the highest score after proclaiming, do you know that's how I, the way I got started? Barris had said he didn't think the act could get past the censors, but it did until it aired, and a horrified network deleted it from its West Coast feed. Watching today, it's still pretty striking that this was broadcast on network TV in the 1970s. I'm not sure it could get on today, and it marked the beginning of the end, unquote. Because the final straw came during an appearance of Dean Gene the Dancing Machine. When uh, panelist J.P. Morgan, a 50s pop star and TV personality, showed a little bit more. <laughs> it was a lot more, but they were little than the censors could handle. Jamie Farr explains in, the, in an interview he gave about the show for the Emmys. And then J.P. started to get a little risque. I love J.P., great singer and everything else, but I tell you, you really had to rein her in. Then she started where she wanted to expose her, her uh, bosom. <laughs> so, so a lot of times what would happen, people didn't know this, uh, when I would be fighting with her and get her on the floor, it wasn't to stop her from gogging, it was stopping her from ex exposing her bosoms. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, one time I wasn't there and she did do it. And oh my goodness, standards NBC, they came down on Chuck and JP. And even though it wasn't 
on the air live, it was still taped, but you had an audience in there, you know, with the kids and everything else. The entire incident is available to be seen on YouTube, including the very brief flash of JP's breast, which, for the record, nice. Sadly, it was the final straw. The daytime gong show was canceled in 1978. From Wikipedia, quote, Following the cancellation, many critics and industry analysts, including Gene Shalit and Rona Barrett, reported having heard comments from within a NBC programming department from sources preferring anonymity that the true reason behind the Barrett cancellation had been given because he had been given an ultimatum by the network standards and practices to deliver less racy shows for his audience, which included many younger viewers, or NBC would cancel the program. Barris refused to tone down the increasingly risque nature of the show, and NBC allowed Barris to continue the show for the rest of his contract. Barris made no perceptible change in the preparation for the finale. In the finale, staff member Gary Goddard appeared as Fenwick Goddard to host the show after Barris started the show doing a Chucky's Fable sketch. The rest of the final episode tried to explain the life of the show and its cancellation. Barris managed to have the last word on the show's demise, appearing as a contestant, playing in a country music band called the Hollywood Cowboys with a house band's rhythm section. Barris sang a slightly modified version of Johnny Paycheck's Take This Job and Shove It, giving NBC the finger during the song to accentuate his point. NBC censored the jester with the word oops superimposed over a still shot of the set. Barris was gonged off by Jamie Farr, unquote. The show continued its syndication. It had been in syndication since its inception. But the syndicated shows had always been a little tamer and a little less edgy. The show continued until 1980 when the syndication contract was canceled and the gong show was gone from the airwaves. There was a singularly terrible gong show movie, even by the standards of the gong show. It was all but unwatchable, even in an ironic Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of way. Eventually, Barris would retire from TV production, move to France, live in the quiet life, and write in his memoirs where he claimed, among other things, to have been a CIA assassin. So, you know, do with that what you will. The show was, of course, licensed worldwide, and there have been multiple attempts to bring it back to American TV, the latest, again, in, 19, uh, in 2017, where it ran for two seasons. But the revivals were never the gong show. They were barely a gong show, like a gong show you would see in a Catholic church in New Jersey. Like so many other shows from the time, the gong show simply cannot exist and be entertaining outside of the late 1970s. The peculiar relaxing of mores during the 1960s combined with the freewheeling early adult years of baby boomers who were still in there very much in there if it feels good do it phase before growing up, becoming responsible and voting for Reagan in the 80s. He said it. It was a time in America where a good, dirty double entendre and D-list celebrities getting tipsy on a soundstage were genuinely, genuinely entertaining, and young Gen Xers such as myself ate that shit up. It branded itself into our collective conscious and exists now in that same soft glow as all the other classic television of the time. You know, where all the classic shows of the time go to retire and live on a farm. I'm, by this, I mean constantly being referenced by Seth MacFarlane shows. But also, the reason it worked at the time was the gong show was kind of mean. The show was often casually cruel towards contestants and uh, featured contestants that pretty obviously had some kind of disabilities. 
the clip I played earlier of Fred Tyson, Fred had at the least a speech impediment and probably was not mentally on top of things, which, yeah, okay, he didn't get gong, but it didn't stop the panel from being kind of dicks. And saying it was all in good fun and the contestants knew what they were signing up for doesn't really change the fact that everyone was laughing at them, not with them. And that's the other reason why the gong show could never come back. We just can't and shouldn't do that kind of television anymore. The kindest thing one could say about the gong show is that when it was being bad, it was at its best. The risque humor and the raunchy visuals. But when it was just being dicks, it wasn't very good at all. And Barris, for all his discomfort as the host, was enthusiastic, charismatic, and fun, and knew what the audience wanted, and he gave them what they wanted. So it made the gong show very much of its time, and deeply influential on a generation of Americans who maybe sometimes learned the wrong lesson about what was funny, which is why we have so many comedians of my generation today saying things like, you can't tell jokes anymore. We couldn't tell jokes back then about people who were different. We can't punch down the gong show. The gong show punched down. Celebrities were punching down on normal fuckers like me and you who just wanted to be on television and maybe get their 15 minutes of fame. I would now, when I think about this, like so many other things when I look back from the 70s, I would never fucking appear on that show because... I don't want J.P. Morgan, as nice as her breast might have been, making fun of me. But hey, at least we got Gene Gene the Dancing Machine. That's Gene Gene the Dancing Machine! That is it for our show this week. So yeah, I still do have a dream of Maybe someday being up on the stage with JP and Jamie and Artie. But I would be being nice to the contestants. Other people uh, wanted a wife and children. This this is what I want. This is my dream, okay? Don't, Don't punch down at me for having dreams different than yours. And sure, yeah, I know, I know if I really wanted to be gonged off stage, I could, uh, I could give in to Gavin's endless request to give him his own gong. But if I did that... The show would never get produced. It would just be him banging a gong all goddamn day. Some of you might say this is a win-win scenario. Speaking of getting gonged off, rate and review this show. It helps others find us, hear us, and uh, get really gonged off at you for suggesting they listen to it. If you'd like to kick us a dollar for the paper bags I make Gavin wear over his head while producing the show, hit us up at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. I'm not punching down on Gavin when I say that. He is actually visually unpleasant to look at. Do all of the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits. Otherwise, he will be forced to hit a big brass. And shuffle us off stage in disgrace. And so for me, Dave, Dave, the dancing machine, the unknown producer Gavin, and all the fictional gongers on the show, we want to say, get up, everybody! Get up and dance along with G. We'll see you all next week.
What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Friggin' Rex Manning Day.